0: up everybody and welcome to the capo podcast um we're gonna get back to audiobooks but just real quick here at the beginning of this one uh i wanted to talk to y'all for a second about this certain short story that we're starting with now this this is a short story but it fits into the the book series itself uh I originally wrote this for the prologue of book one, but uh, since then I've decided that it it doesn't quite fit there, so I'm not sure where I'm going to put it, uh, but it is going to be in the book series, and it's going to be, I don't know, maybe in book one even, possibly book two or book three. I'm not sure exactly where it fits, but it is a it is a story that belongs in the book series, and it belongs at the very beginning. This short story that I've written, it is called The Old Man, and it it fits at the very, very beginning of the entire storyline of the book because it tells the story of the the world that the book is living in. It tells the story of the... If you remember from book one, if you've read book one, once again, if you're just now tuning into the podcast and you just want to start on book two, I I'm, I would totally say I'm fine with that. Uh, you can read book two and book three without even reading book one if you want to, and if you're somebody who doesn't want to spend, you know, six, seven hours listening to book one, uh, if you started with Tyrants and Savages last week, uh, this would be a... This would be a great place to start if you don't want to listen to all that. And this will be a great episode to start after Tyrants and Savages. It'll be kind of a mix of the of the podcast and of the short story. So the short story itself takes place in the year twenty forty eight. And in the world of the books, the earliest thing that you hear of is just a little bit later than this year. And that's the reason I'm not sure where this story goes, as far as where it goes in the book. So I'm going to kind of make it its own kind of standalone thing as a short story, and then you know when the day comes that I do get published and get this all these three books either published as three different books or published in one big book, it will be in there. I'm just not quite sure where it goes yet. But uh, anyways, it tells the story of in book one. Where the guns in the bunker that the Pickett family, Evelyn and her cousins, they find a bunker on the island of Roanoke. And in this bunker, they find four, uh, you know, M4 style military rifles and ammunition. And basically, it's a it's a prepper type of Bunker that's been built, and I felt like uh, the story of that bunker needed to be told. So, this story that I will add to this episode, this audiobook, is the story of where those guns came from. And in the world of the story, because I call this a dystopian epic, that is a very important uh, moment for the characters in the book just because in any epic story in any uh story of you know heroes battling against evil you have to have a a moment where they are given some sort of weapon with which to fight against you know the darkness that they're going to face and i think i've talked about this in earlier episodes but uh just to kind of reiterate, you see it in a lot of different books. You see it in kind of old video games and uh, Lord of the Rings and The Hobbit and just a whole bunch of different stuff. There's always this, you know, a cave or a, a certain temple where suddenly the hero is given this sword that he will carry forward or she will carry forward that will help them along their way. And this is the story of how those guns got into that bunker. And it gives you a vision of the world that exists before, you know, a couple decades before the chaos brings the entire United States to its knees. And you see the story through the eyes of an old man who has been uh, diagnosed with terminal cancer. And he has nobody to kind of give his guns to. And instead, he decides to bury them in this bunker and just pray that somewhere, sometime, someone will find them that will put them to a, a good kind of use that he foresees might be positive in the world. So that's where we're going with this, and that's where we'll, we will start the audio book. And I'm going to make it a long pause because something about doing the podcast and then also an audiobook is kind of weird to me. And if I I kind of pause for a while, I feel like I can get into the characters. So, I hope you enjoy this. This is kind of a standalone episode, a short story. It is called The Old Man. A Long Way Back to Zion. Short story, The Old Man. Six Semper Tyrannus, The Old World, Roanoke Island, North Carolina, Year 2048. There was nothing on television anymore. Pages and pages of shows and movies, all empty and pointless, hollowed out like society itself was, inarticulate and without meaning. How they even made money at it, the old man wasn't Sure. Even the sports he used to love were poison to him now, shot through completely with pop culture and political ideologies he despised. There was a day when he'd watch every game of the season. Now, he couldn't even force his way through the first commercial break. He pushed the power button, and the gigantic screen went from a madhouse of colors to a mirror. He looked at himself in the gloom, unsure of how he'd gotten there. He'd lost more of his muscle mass, and he looked fat to himself, despite the fact that he was losing weight. He'd always been thick and stout, and he carried it better than most, but not anymore. He felt utterly useless. Before his wife had left, she and the kids had given him purpose. Back then, he'd been fit, dedicated, and useful. In his twenties, he'd worked twelve- and fifteen-hour days 70, 80 hour weeks sometimes. He'd made money, went to bars, hooked up with a new girl every few days, and he remembered being young, virile, and happy. But that had been an adolescent happiness. In his 30s, he'd grown up, quit the party life, and made one of those girls a wife. Through his 30s and 40s, he'd worked as a deputy sheriff. Those years had swept by him like the wind, and he barely had any good memories of them other than the birth of his children. There were plenty of bad memories of those years, though, and he didn't really like to think about those too much anymore. He'd only been in one shooting, but he'd killed a man. That didn't bother him, though, not really. It was the other stuff that had stuck with him, a druggie who'd stabbed a woman to death. A child, mauled by a pit bull. Too many suicides to count. Even more car wrecks. Glass and blood on asphalt. He'd given the county twenty years of his life, blood, and sweat. And what had they given him? Termination without retirement when he'd refused to enforce unconstitutional laws. He hadn't been the first one fired. In fact, he'd turned a blind eye when it all started. He'd even told his fellow officers to keep their mouths shut for their own good. The old man remembered distinctly being a young officer and thinking that all the talk of unconstitutional this and tyrannical that was a bit over the top. After all, they hadn't been rounding anyone up and throwing them in camps at the time. And if someone had told him that in a decade they would be doing just that, he wouldn't have believed them. He'd been a fool not to see it. Then, before he knew what had happened, he was 60, flabby, balding, and stuck working the counter at a big box sporting goods store. The kids had moved out, then his wife shortly after that. How a woman thought she could run off in her late 50s and go find herself, he'd yet to figure out. Last he'd heard, she was posting pictures of herself online in lingerie. They were sad and pathetic, but nobody was allowed to say that in the feedback below the pictures. He still couldn't put his finger on when she'd gone completely insane. It had turned around for him a while, after that. He'd finally done the thing he'd always wanted. He'd jumped through all the state and federal loops, he'd invested every cent he had left, and he'd opened the store. For a decade, he'd run it, and during that time, the store had given him purpose— He didn't care that his wife didn't approve or his children. They all said what he was doing was not only foolish, but immoral. They called him short-sighted. But the old man had given them all the metaphorical finger and went on running the business. Then, finally, they'd taken it away, too. No, not his venomous harpy of a wife or his mewling, pathetic children. They hadn't done it. They had helped in a way, the old man knew, But it had been the government that had taken his store. That wasn't the way they would frame it, and they'd never admit to it, but it was the truth. And now? Well, now he was a man without purpose. He stood up, feeling slightly dizzy. It was a side effect of the medication he was on, and he cursed his body's growing weakness. He made his way to the hall, and he took from a hook a jacket and from another a faded red ball cap. Then he went out the door that led into the garage, and he got into his old pickup. The old man turned the key, and the truck rumbled to life. He'd opened the garage, but now he sat in it for a couple minutes, contemplating his decision. If they pulled him over to issue an emissions ticket, they'd ask about what was in the bed of the truck. He knew that. He'd been pulled over twice since the new law went into effect, and both times it was young officers on the mainland, but... He turned the key backward and let the pickup fall silent. It was too dangerous. Keeping them hidden in his house was one thing. There were no door-to-door searches for them, not like everyone thought there would be. The old man thought about that for a second. Everyone had talked such a big game when they thought there would be jackboots going door-to-door to to do searches, but that hadn't happened. He looked at himself in the rearview mirror who are you going to give him to? He asked mockingly. His son, God bless the kid, was under the impression that the old man had turned them all in, and if he found out the truth, he would turn in the old man himself. That's how he'd been ever since he'd gotten into high school, and he'd only gotten worse after college. His daughter was even less of a candidate. Maybe your girlfriend. She's got more balls than my son. The old man laughed bitterly. No, neither of the old man's kids were candidates. But again, what would he do? Ever since the diagnosis, the old man had pondered that question. He'd less than a year, he'd been told. He'd also been told it was all his fault for chewing tobacco all his life. The old man knew they were probably right, but they'd never say the same thing to some morbidly obese lady or someone suffering from AIDS. That wouldn't be politically correct. It was the hypocrisy of everyone that irked him. People could look right in the mirror these days and not see a damn thing of themselves. And anyway, he was damn near eighty years old now. The tobacco had taken its sweet time to kill him this late in the game. But the question came again. What do I do with them? All of his friends were already dead. The only few acquaintances he remembered from the store were either goofballs or law enforcement. If he knew one thing, he knew that there was nobody left in law enforcement that shared his beliefs. There had been, 20 years ago, maybe even 10, but not anymore. There was the internet, but the old man was canny enough to know that most folks' online chat rooms were feds. He lived a peaceable and law-abiding existence his whole life, He didn't have any shady contacts in the underworld he could turn to. And even if he did, he wouldn't give them to those types either. He turned the key again, and the truck rumbled to life. Even if they caught him, he decided, it didn't matter much. Backing out of his driveway, he turned onto the side street and then took 64 North, heading up the island. He didn't understand why he was so nervous about the endeavor. He'd be dead by year's end, yet... Something about the clandestine nature of the drive made his blood pump in his ears. It was an 11-minute drive to his destination and he drove the speed limit exactly and saw almost no one on the road. There were a few people out about this time. He pulled to the end of the blacktop side road, turned the truck, and backed into a spot, then he turned off the motor. The area was thickly forested and it felt like it was off the beaten track despite the fact that there was a highway just to the north. In any event, the small underground storage container out in the woods was well concealed. The old man was just about to exit the truck when he saw the pair of headlights pull in behind him. He saw the reflective decal in the light of the street lamp on the driver's door, and his hands almost started to shake. It was a North Carolina highway patrol car. The lights weren't on, but the officer was definitely following him. The old man sat in the silence of his cab, doing his best to calm down as the patrol car came down the lane, finally stopping in front of him. The door opened, and the officer stepped out. "'Mornin',' the patrolman said. He shined a light into the cab, and the old man had to squint. "'Mornin',' the old man replied. He wanted to piss down his leg. The trooper, once he'd seen his face, was getting out of his patrol car. Mind if I ask what's got you out here at 3.30 in the morning? He approached casually, disarmed by the old man's appearance. Can't sleep, the old man explained. He hoped he wasn't sweating. I come out of here when I can't sleep. Uh, Listen to a podcast in my truck. He lied. Once it gets light, I go for a walk in the woods. Huh. Ain't been drinking, have you? The trooper was at the window now. He shone the light down and away, out of the old man's eyes. No, sir. The old man did everything he could to appear normal. They got me on these drugs for cancer. I can't drink with them. Boy, you sure scared me, till I saw you as a trooper, that is. I never see nobody this early. The trooper chuckled. Yeah, I could say the same. Truth be told, I'm usually off by two, but I was out on a late call. You lived around here? Yes, sir, since I was thirty or so. Wait, the trooper pondered the old man's face. You used to work the counter at Alligator Arms. Hell, I remember you. Yeah, I was the owner. The old man tried to recall the trooper's face. He couldn't. I think I remember you, too. He growed up some, though. He wasn't surprised the trooper knew him from the store and not from the sheriff's office. It had been so long now, nobody he knew was still there anymore. They'd all been cold by now. The trooper smiled. Yeah, he chuckled. Damn, how long since all that? Since y'all closed, I mean. Sixteen years since we were shut down. He faked a smile. Oh, damn shame about that. The trooper looked down for a moment. Yep, the old man's mind was wailing at him. I think if we get Taylor into office next year, I think maybe they'll roll back those laws. What do you think? Taylor ain't like those other politicians. He's different, for sure. The trooper was hemming and hawing now, and the old man could feel the danger growing if he started to become unfocused. His eyes might wander, travel, meander to the back. All he had to do was glance at the bed, and he would see the ominous tarp covering the contents of it. He still didn't know what to say. Well, he finally replied, Maybe. He thought about talking more about the cancer, but he feared that would be too much. He knew mentioning he was former law enforcement was an even worse route these days. Everyone knew that former officer meant troublemaker to those in authority now. The old man finally just nodded and ran his tongue over his teeth. He'd be better than what we've got. Absolutely, the trooper smiled and looked down again. Well, I'm sorry I caught your attention for nothing, the old man shrugged. You can stick around for a while and go for a walk in the woods if you want. The words were smooth somehow over the raging river of adrenaline that flowed under the surface. Nah, said the trooper. I best get on, put his hands on his hips. You know, though, this truck... He clicked his tongue. It's not legal anymore, according to the emission standards. Yeah, the old man nodded. I know that. I've been saving up for a new one, but... The way the economy is, I just can't afford it right now. I wish I could let you off. The young trooper indicated the camera attached to his vest, videotaping the interaction. But they record all of it, and they review it. I understand. The old man's heart would not slow. I have to issue... The trooper looked at his feet again. He sounded almost like a child who'd done something wrong. Of course... That was because he was, and he had. I'll be right back. He walked back toward the car. The old man's knuckles turned white on the steering wheel, and he grit his teeth until he thought they'd break. He had no intention of paying the damn ticket. By the time they issued the warrant and got around to finding him, it was likely he'd be dead anyway. But that didn't matter. It still burned him, and he wanted to scream his frustration to the world. No. No. It was worse than that. More primal. He wanted to pull his old 9 millimeter pistol from the hidden compartment in the console of the truck and blow the trooper's brains out when he came back. As far as the old man was concerned, the trooper deserved nothing less. But none of that would do any good. The old man was alone in his righteous indignation. An angry island, alone in a sea of silent, cowed eunuchs. Everyone else had accepted it. Everyone else thought it was right. Everyone else was a ridiculous fool. A slave.' "'The trooper returned, and he did did his best to seem calm. "'Here you go, sir.' "'The trooper handed him a piece of paper. "'Since this is your first citation, he made a motion with his hand to indicate that the old man shouldn't speak if it wasn't, in fact, the first time. "'Your fine will only be five hundred dollars.' "'Thank you, officer.' The old man was mad enough to spit, but he spiled for the camera. I appreciate your kindness. Have a good day, said the trooper. You too, said the old man. Then he was gone, and the old man could finally breathe. Suddenly, he felt like he wanted to vomit, but he didn't. As soon as the trooper's car disappeared, he moved to the bed and pulled the tarp off. Underneath it was a wide assortment of survival gear. Backpacks, coats, boots, dried food, rice, flour, sugar, and bottles of water comprised one half. On the other, there were four 12-inch PVC tubes in a crate. Inside the tubes were M4 carbines, steel magazines, and hundreds of rounds of ammunition. The crate held six old surplus Mosin-Nagant rifles slathered in cosmoline and 1,000 rounds of ammunition in sealed cans. Okay, the old man said. Let's get you in the ground. Two at a time, he carried the p v c thru- tubes through the woods to the hidden location. There was a hatch, three feet across, that led down into a sealed container below. He transported the p v c tubes first, and then the crate of rifles, then the food and the backpacks. It all took him the better part of two hours. Once he deposited the last of the two five-gallon buckets of rice into the sealed container, he stood down in the darkness of it with a flashlight in his hand. The old man could feel himself breathing hard. There was a pain in his chest. He was sweating, faint, and felt as if he'd been beaten by the world itself. But he'd done it. He had transported all of his gear to the container. In his younger years, he'd always imagined himself using it. Even a decade ago, he thought it might come to pass. He had seen all of this coming, after all. He and others like him had predicted it for years, but it hadn't mattered. There hadn't been enough of them, and even the ones they had were easily turned away from what they knew must be done. The old man had seen it so many times he couldn't count. First, they'd threatened reputations, then, they'd threatened jobs, finally, they'd threatened children. It had all been too much, even for the men who believed deeply in their causes, even for the old man himself. Even he had cowed when they'd threatened to take his children away. He'd given up the guns that they knew about, and he'd bowed and scraped for them. If he'd only realized then what he knew now, he might not have. He might have started shooting instead. What he'd not understood was that they already had his children. They had had his children for years. He tried to think about when that started. It had been a gradual, almost imperceptible process, but when had it started? Was it when he sent them off to their first days of school to socialize with other children their age and be taught nonsense by political activists pretending to be teachers? Or before that, when he'd sat them in front of the television to watch kid shows before they could even talk He'd never given those shows a second thought. Or maybe it was later, when he'd given them smartphones. He had thought he'd won that small battle, insisting and arguing with his wife that the kids didn't need phones until they were ten. She'd finally relented, and he'd actually thought that was a victory. He'd been a fool. He should have insisted on sixteen, or eighteen, or even twenty-five, As far as he was concerned, he might as well have introduced them to heroin. The old man laughed, sadly. No, it was before all of that. They had their hooks in his kids before they were even born. Through his pitiful, stupid wife, and even through him. Maybe even more him than his wife. After all, he'd been the one working too hard to pay attention, to see what they were doing to his kids. They. The ominous they. Even now, the old man wasn't sure why he'd not seen it sooner. Looking back on it, it was as plain as the rising of the sun and the coming of daylight. The daylight. The world was turning gray and violet outside the container, and the old man had told himself he must be gone before it was full light. He stood and looked around, making certain it was all there. It would stay there. No one living would know of it. The old man imagined that someone would find it, years hence, and he spoke this hope into the darkness of the container like a desperate prayer. He imagined heroic patriots taking the guns and restoring his beloved country to its purpose and glory. He wanted to say something to them, to whoever found this treasure, but he wasn't sure what it was. It hadn't been until last week he'd decided what it must be. He would leave them a riddle, words in a language that no one spoke. Taking a brush in his hand, he dipped it into the red paint he'd set on the floor, and he lifted it to the wall in front of his face. With the flashlight gripped tightly in his teeth, he wrote, "'Sick, Simper, Tyrannus.'" Once he was topside, he replaced the hatch to the ground, and he snapped around the latch a lock. Then the old man retrieved his shovel, covered the hatch with a dusting of dirt and then a plethora of fallen leaves. Once he was finished, the hatch was completely hidden, and the place blended into the tiny clearing and the trees as well as anything else. He knew, even so close to everything, it would be a while before someone found it. Nobody walked in the woods anymore. Everyone lived their lives between their homes and their work. Any free time they had was spent, for almost everyone, in digital worlds and spaces. People didn't care for actual reality anymore. The digital world, full of sound and fury, was more enticing. No, he thought, no one will find you for years, decades, maybe even a hundred years. Then the old man nodded once to the ground, returned to his truck, and drove back home. To his own surprise, he lived another five years. It was long enough to see his son overdose on pills that no one knew he was taking. Then, like compounding tragedy, his grandson followed his father into the ground less than a year later, at the age of thirteen. Slit wrists. Crimson, staining, a white bathtub. His wife, after that, leaping from a building in New York City to become bloody jello on a city sidewalk... He saw also his daughter decide to have a child with her girlfriend, the girlfriend leave, and the baby aborted at six months. The old man never spoke to her again, his last words being, ''Take a lesson from your mother.'' She hadn't, as far as he knew, but he didn't really care. On a larger and grander scale, the old man watched the death of his country. He watched four states secede from the United States of America, and he witnessed the beginning of the Second American Civil War. He saw seven nuclear weapons fall, and that was just in his own country. He saw one president assassinated, and another sign a bill authorizing death sentences to anyone who politically opposed him. A famine claimed the lives of a billion people in Europe and Asia. A genocide in Texas three more of them abroad in South America, Africa, and the Australian outback. The old man watched it all, and he never spoke to another soul of the treasure he had buried on Roanoke Island. Finally, three days after his 82nd birthday, the old man passed in his sleep, sitting in front of his blank television.